Welcome to The Tech That Connects Us, a podcast dedicated to the stories of leaders in the technology industries that bring us closer together, specifically content and media, satellite and news space, connectivity and cybersecurity. Your hosts are me, John Clifton, Laurie Scott and Will Trenchard, the founders of Nuco, a specialist global recruitment and executive search firm focused on these exact industries. We love being a part of them and we're excited to share these stories with you. Welcome to the Tech That Connects Us. Your host today are myself, Andrew Bull. And today, alongside me, we've got Nuco's newest recruit into the satellite and space team, Katya Schmieding. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Barton Womack. Barton is the CEO of Eden Growth Systems, an exciting farming technology business utilizing NASA technology to achieve year-round food independence. Welcome to the show, Bart. It's great to have you with us. Hey guys, thank you so much for having me. It's it's a real pleasure to be here. Oh, the pleasure is all ours, I assure you. <laughs> so look, before we get properly started, uh, this year seems to have been a fantastic year for you guys at Eden. Um, we've had the first public launch of the Eden Tower, which we can see kind of showcased behind you today. Um, <laughs> you've had some major speaking engagements at some of the leading industry shows. Um, and we also saw the announcement of Dr. Gary Stutz joining the team, which is you know a great move for you guys. So first of all, just want to congratulate you and the whole Eden team on what a great, you know, what a great year you've had. Um, yeah, you know, it's, um, well, it's amazing, you know, being a startup, it's such an adventure. You know, it's like it's and it's it's goes from like terror to absolute excitement. You know, <laughs> like you know, you're trying to make sure that everything holds together so that you can continue moving the vision forward. But um, you know, seeing especially people like uh, Dr. Stude uh, appreciate our work and want to work with us, uh, that was very validating. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, getting invited to the uh, Hello Tomorrow Deep Tech Deep Tech Summit in Paris. Um, that's going on right now. That was a real honor. So, I mean, that's, that's been the biggest thing. Cause I mean, we've been doing this since I started the company in 2017 and I've been working on this since 2014. And wow. so now to see so many years of what we've been working on that we're deploying, we're getting out into the marketplace and we're seeing, you know, industry experts get our message, get our product, you know, that's, that's been very validating, yeah. very validating. Fantastic. And so look, to, to get the story started, we like to go back to the very, very beginning. I think it's fair to say that you've had a pretty varied career. Um, but look, how did you get into the sort of the space side of, of your career? Sure. So, um, you know, my background is in digital communications and marketing. And my first startup was actually an entertainment company and a nightclub here in Houston, Texas. But um you know, whenever I exited all of that, I was really, I've always been very um, interested in independence and radical self-reliance. Um, and those were a, lot, a large part of a lot of the communities that I was, I was in when I was in entertainment. You know, I was, um, you know, the Burning Man community, all of that, you know, the ideas are that you can take care of yourself. And so, you know, I've been a libertarian my whole life. So kind of the idea of, of human freedom, human expression, the ability to, um, to be radically free, but to be radically free also requires that you have radical self-responsibility. And that's the other, that's the other side of, of things, you know, in classical libertarianism is that, is that, yeah, you know, I can do whatever I want, but I can do that because A, I'm not harming anyone else and B, I'm completely taking care of myself. So no one has to, no one ever has to take on my choices. Yeah. So um, that was always kind of the driving like philosophy in my life. And I've always been concerned with that. So whenever I left uh, the entertainment industry and was looking for the next thing to do, I was working at my family office. They, they, you know, they said, well, come and, you know, help us do some trends research and figure out where, you know, you think that the family should be going and maybe you'll figure out what you want to do next, you know? So I had this moment in my life that I'd come to and it was, about 2013, 2014. And um, I kept finding that food was going to be a major disruptor in uh, development and technologically over the next decade. And these were reports by 
British Ministry of Defense, Homeland Security, NASA, Chase Manhattan Bank, all these like trends reports talking about that moving into the future. And I was like, food? Why, what? <laughs> why, why food? We live in the most abundant time in history. I can go get anything I want any time of the day or night. Yeah. And we eat better than the Chinese and Roman emperors. I mean, we have a we have a greater palate. Everyone in the first world has a greater palate selection than the royalty of antiqu- antiquity. I mean, yeah. we get, we, you've experienced dishes from every culture at every time and every part of development <laughs> if you wanted to. So, you know, I was looking into that and uh, it, it got into, you know, resource depletion, overpopulation, climate change, the convergence of all of these causing a crisis event in the future that the system, because it had been so over-optimized, wasn't capable of handling. Yeah, and, and I know your question was like space. So how, do, how does this? How does this get? How do we get to space from here? So I get together with my buddies and I say, you know, look. And I did research for over a year on all the most advanced farming systems and how that they were projecting that they were going to be applied in the future. And so I got a group of friends together and we started getting. We got some engineers together, and I mean, this was the first thing that I learned was putting together like an aquaponic system even by itself aquaponic not aeroponic which what this is you know you got to understand botany aquaculture plumbing you know (laughs) how to be an electrician i mean it's like it's literally six or seven different disciplines that all have to come together so you know i was smart enough and from my experience my first startup i knew how to organize people to achieve things and so I, I was able to see what I didn't know. I went and I found the people that did know. I got us all together and we built the first system. This is in uh, early 2017. And that was when we incorporated too. Well, a good friend of mine that had, had worked with me and, and been a business advisor, um, Megan Crawford, she was just getting her VC space fund off the ground. Yeah. Okay. And she came to me and she said, Bart, There are so many space applications for what you're talking about doing, taking next generation farming techniques and creating uh, self-supporting systems that can last a long time, you know? And I was like, well, yeah, I guess it does make sense because whether you're on Mars or whether you're out in the middle of, of nowhere, whether it's an urban desert or an actual desert, the fundamental problems that you face can be the same, which is how do you create farming systems that utilize the least amount of human and electrical energy and can operate without resupply the longest amount of time? That was the question that we were that we were asking. So she gets me on a panel called Farmers in Space out in LA, all right? Now I've been out of college for probably 10 years at this point. I haven't given yep. a presentation. I haven't spoken to people, <laughs> you know? So I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm like, I'm in my chair and I'm, I've got two Starbucks in my hands, and, <laughs> you know? I'm shaking and I'm reading, um, I'm reading over my notes. And the guy that gets up before me to give a presentation that's on the same panel that I'm on gives my exact presentation. I mean, he goes through every data point, actually has the same, quoting the same <laughs> research studies, comes all the same conclusions and says everything that I'm planning on saying. So I'm like freaking out at this point. You know, this is, this is my big shot. I, I think I'd even hired a film crew to come in and get some video up so we can start, you know, cataloging everything. And I'm like, oh my God, you know? So I, uh, I real quickly like think of 10 different new things to say that so it doesn't look like I'm just copying off, you know, this guy before me. Just plagiarizing and, uh, wholesale. Give, yeah. yeah, so I give, my, I give my presentation, but then I go and I find that guy in the bar and that's how I met my partner, Jeff Raymond. The Real Martian and his YouTube channel is The Real Martian. And so he and I start talking and we realize that we're approaching the problem, the exact same problem, but in different use case scenarios. I was trying to create the ultimate homesteading system here on earth. He wanted to create the ultimate off-world homesteading system, but he was building it here on earth. And so we realized, you know, and we, the whole profile was we had come to the same conclusions, which were moving into the future, there were going to be supply chain disruptions. There were going to be black swan events. And from the NASA studies that we saw, as a system becomes more complex, it becomes more susceptible to disruption. It doesn't become more resilient, it becomes less resilient. Yeah. And so us wiring the whole world together, you know, through globalization over the last 60 years, making it to where widgets are, you know, 
manufactured in China, then built in India, and then sent to the U.S. off materials that were mined in South America, you know, because that's the cheapest flows. And it, it, that that system was going to prove to be unreliable. That now remember, we're all familiar with this now. You know, like I get it. <laughs> yeah. We all get this. We all get this now. But in 2017, when I first started talking about this, people are like, you know what? You know, yeah. I can go to Walmart right now and get anything I want. What are you talking about? So, you know, that was how we got into space was, you know, we were asking those questions that mirrored those, those questions, but we knew that for us to ever make it into space, that we have to make it through this period here on earth. And that fundamentally how we, how we utilize uh, the, the world supply chain system and the resources that go into it are going to fundamentally have to change. And we're yeah. aligned and we're with the message, you know, I don't want to eat bug paste and you know, <laughs> lab grown food. You know, that's great. If anybody wants to do it, that's you, you got my thumbs up. That's all for you. But I want to produce, you know, good organic natural foods that we've grown up eating that we can still produce and we can still have that quality of life that we've always had. We just have to start applying these technologies. So yeah. that's, that's, that's how we got to space. I mean, it sounds like, you know, it's almost kind of, you know, kismet, almost the fact that you were both there at the same panel at the same time, talking about the same problems. However, the use cases so different, yet actually so intrinsically linked, you know, really kind of interesting how that, that kind of happened. And oh, look, no, I it's suppose totally destiny. It was totally <laughs> destiny. We Very never would have made it either one of us. And we both know that like there were, we, it really was, it was meant yeah. to happen because we just complement each other so well. Yeah, great. Well, look, we've touched a little bit on the past, so let's let's stay there. Um, so, Katya, <laughs> passing over to you, um, and we're going to delve a little bit more into uh, the past and, and the background. Yeah, so um, it seems like you've had a quite phenomenal career so far, um, quite a varied career too. But what are you most proud of achieving so far? This this you know like my youth was spent I, I produced television shows I worked on films I owned nightclubs you know I did all the exciting things I did all the things that you look at on you know tv and when you're 25 you think are like what you want and you know and I loved it and I would never change it I'm so happy that I did all of that I I got to meet some of the most amazing artists and beautiful people and but when it came to wanting us, you know, and I'll say it, you know, when I had kids, it was when I had children that mm -hmm. I fundamentally shifted my views. It, it changes you. And I, I think it changed me for the better in that, you know, I'd always been about freedom and the transcendental experience and the idea that uh, knowledge or art could, could transform society. But with Eden, you know, I'm, I'm taking it a step further that I'm actually, and that was when I, when I, when I awoke to that level of reality of like, wow, I can really build something that if we can pull this off, we can actually reach into reality and really change the way the, the world is in a very positive way. Um, you know, when my, when my son graduated kindergarten, <laughs> it was probably three or four years ago, I remember watching him sing with like these other 150 kindergartners somewhere over the rainbow and you know it, it's a sappy thing but you know the older you get as a man they've even shown this you know biologically we get sappy we get sappy that kind of warrior um viciousness of youth melts away and you become more sentimental and um i just remember looking at all those kids and i you know i, I started crying a little bit and i realized that i wanted a good future for all of them and that when I looked at all of them, all I saw were, was my son over and over and over again. You know, you see children at that age and their innocence and their hope and their, this, the, the complete ability, you know, watching them all sing and just be happy. It was such a powerful moment. I was like, this is what's real. This is what's real. The, I'm looking at the future right now and I wanted to build a future for them that they could be free. Um, and this gets into the, the uh, you know, again, a guiding philosophy and everything that I've done 
whether it was, you know, producing the TV show or uh, doing the nightclub or doing this is I want human freedom. I want freedom for myself and I want freedom for, for everyone else. And so my whole adult life has been this journey of trying to figure out how do you create freedom? And when I did the TV show, I approached it from the perspective of if I can educate people, if I can give them an understanding of history and philosophy and you know the way, the, as I saw it, the way the world really worked and what really mattered. But I got frustrated with that because the people that came to that were the ones that were already understood it and already were ready to hear it. So then I, I graduated into the transcendental experience, you know, that moment where a piece of art or an idea can transform someone's perception and someone's soul. And I mean, think about it in your own experience in your own life, when you've seen something that touched you and changed you fundamentally. And so for a long time, I, you know, I thought art, I was like, this is it. I was like, if I can touch people's hearts and souls, I can change everything. But there, in, the, in the entertainment industry, especially, there is an element of escapism. And so, yeah. you know, as I want, uh, you know, as I went from throwing raves to going to nightclubs to going to Burning Man, my own generational experience, what I saw was, as I said, I saw there's this group of artists and poets and rebels within society that desperately want to exist in something different from the world as they know it. And so they run away to the nightclub, they run away to the rave, they run away to Burning Man, and they get, and it's longer and longer periods and deeper and deeper immersion, but you still have to come back to the world. You still have to come back to this system that demands so much and doesn't satisfy us on so many levels. Yeah. yeah. And so that was when, that was all in 2012, 2013. And I was looking at the, I was looking deeper and deeper into philosophy and, and history. And I was like, how do we deal with this? How do we do this? Because looking forward into the future, what I saw was, as I said, this technocracy, this integration of technology into every aspect of our lives is only going to increase. And the control mechanism that goes along with that vertical integration and that efficiency is only going to increase. And I was like, I don't like that. I'm already, I already feel too infringed upon. I already feel too watched and regulated and understood. I don't, I didn't want to go deeper into that system. So I saw all of these trends going into the future. I saw the food trend going into the future. I saw my own development of this philosophical idea of, of wanting freedom and what did that mean? And that was when I said, you know, it was the pilgrims and the, the settlers that originally had the right idea, which is if you don't like the culture that you're a part of, you have to go create a new culture. And if that culture is, is more healthy, if that culture is more productive and better for the human spirit, then given, given enough time, it will flourish on its own. So I said, you know, moving into the future, there's going to be these disruptions. There's going to be these breakdowns. There's going to be movements of people that want to pull apart from the system and want to be able to self-sustain for themselves. And I said, so where does that begin? And it's history. Civilization begins with food, water, and power. If you can create those things for yourself, you have independence and you have the capability of creating your own kind of culture. I mean, and the Amish have been doing it for the last 200 years. So yeah. a lot of, lot of what, I'm, what, I, what I'm proposing, you know, with the kind of technologies that, that we're bringing to bear is a, an Amish 2.0, that we take the best of technology right now, we make our lives simple, we take our independence and our freedom into our own hands. But we do it in, in such a way as utilizing the best technology, but we decide that we're not going to go any more forward. I don't want to be integrated in with computers. I don't want to. And there's people that are going to want to do that. And I appreciate that. So not, appreciate not, a, not a proponent of the metaverse then. Yeah, no, no. I, I <laughs> No, I will say I fully reject the metaverse because you know i saw a great uh, online meme was making fun it says and it was it was from a religious site it was like god has constructed this amazing metaverse that you live in and he's <laughs> called and he's called it the universe it's so real, <laughs> it's so real. <laughs> i've i've seen the same meme yeah <laughs> you know so but freedom takes effort and it takes will 
you know, yeah. and it, so, and again, I don't judge anyone. I'm fine with, there's, we, there's billions of people on the planet. There's all of this technology. There doesn't have to be one pathway forward. There doesn't have to be one universal system that we've all plugged ourselves into like the Borg, you know, and, and trotted off down that, that pathway. Again, I, I'm all for free will and self-determination. Anybody that wants to modify their genetics, that wants to modify themselves by integrating in with computers, that wants to you know, have a universal basic income that's plugged into a, a social credit score, that's then plugged into their you know, um, vaccine card and all of it together, that's great. You, if that makes you feel safe, if that makes you feel happy, then that's all, I'm all for it. But I want to live out in the forest with my next generation farming technologies and watch my kids run through the fields with dogs and chickens, yeah. you know, and, and live what I call um, a human, a human life. Yeah. So, you know, I, 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 and again, I'm not against Walmart and I'm not against um, Amazon. I buy off Walmart and I buy off Amazon, but I don't want to be dependent on Walmart and Amazon. Yeah. And so I represent the force and I represent the message and I'm trying to organize the, the thinkers and the technology that we can give people an option so that they can have their self-determination, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, look, to that totally makes sense. And um, well, look, thank you very much for that and, uh, and Katya for, for the question. But look, let's, let's kind of move on a little bit more to the present now then. Um, so, Bart, I actually saw um, a really interesting quote on, on your LinkedIn profile, I think it was. It was kind of along the lines of, you know, the problems being faced here on Earth right now are the same problems that, you know, off-Earth colonizers will also face in the future. You know, no problem is a, a new problem. It's just new ways of looking at them. Um, so I was kind of, in your opinion, other than, you know, farming and, and kind of creating that kind of self-sustaining environment for colonizers, what do you see as kind of, the next major barrier to space colonization as it stands at the moment? The human condition. I mean, the truth is, and it's something, you know, I, I was at a conference one time with Bezos that, that we were, and I actually got to meet him. We were both speakers at, and um, you know, the, the biggest secret is, is that unless we like radically genetically modify our bodies, we're not built to, to, to be <laughs> we're not in built space. for space. We're not, we're not built for space. <laughs> we're not, you know, so, um, you know, when Bezos gave a, a talk at the New Worlds Summit that, that we were speakers at, he, um, you know, he was saying that the, the real future of humanity is going to be in low Earth orbit, you know, and giant like sky cities and sky platforms, because you can access the resources of the planet, you can create a living environment that's much more suitable for humans and enjoyable for humans than, you um, then space or, you know, no gravity or different types of gra different levels of gravity. Um, so, I mean, it's like, I think within the space industry, I see like, there's, what's the right word to use? I don't want to be, I'm, I don't want to be negative, but um, <laughs> a desire not to recognize some of the realities of what it's really going to take for us to be in space. And that, from a resource standpoint, point of view, um, it's a lot. It's not feasible. It's it's not feasible without radically altering the the humans. So I think understanding how we're going to adapt our physiology, um, and even our psychology to adapt to these environments and retain our humanity. That's to me, and I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, I might sound like a one-trick pony or, you know, one song, but it just, it always comes back to how we're going to utilize this technology. Yeah. Because so much of the technology and so many of the questions we're facing now force us to ask what it even means to be human. Um, and there are the transhumanists that are just, man, they are just ready to go. They want to jack themselves in and edit everything and, you know. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, and guys like Ray Kurzweil talk about it in their books and, you know, and they're, they're ready to go. Um, and they'll solve those problems, you know, like they'll make a human that can't be killed by radiation, you know, they'll make a human <laughs> that, that, uh, but, but is that a human anymore is the, is the question, yep. what does it, what does it do and what are the unintended consequences later on? So, you know, I think a lot of times what I talk about 
the earth is like a garden. And if we wanna successfully move out into space, one of the most important things that we understand is, is that we have to grow out of the pot, okay? You're not going to just go out into space and earth is this thing that's gonna be forgotten about. Maybe in, in a thousand years, maybe when we have like technology that can instantaneously transport us to other places, but for this, until we have that technology for the foreseeable future to spread out from earth, you, it's like a vine growing out of a plant. We have to grow out so that we're still connected into the ecosystem here on yeah. earth. And <clears throat> so, so you need that you know, constant tethering to, exactly. to, to earth for them. Yeah. And really interesting that, that you kind of looked at that rather than, you know, I think most people we have onto the podcast probably would have looked at that from a technological barrier. Um, perspective. But I think really interesting, especially given your background and what you said previously about, you know, why Eden came about, you know, really interesting to kind of hear your your thoughts on that. And, it, you know, it's a, it's a changing of the human condition almost that we need to, mm -hmm. to look at. And I think that's a kind of nice segue into my next question. And other than Eden's technology, of course, what other space technology do you think is having the most impact here on Earth right now? Oh, man. I mean, there's so much. I mean, uh, you can go back and look at all the NASA stuff. I mean, you know, Velcro plastics, <laughs> you know, I mean, as we don't think about it, that was all stuff that was developed in the 60s, you know, but um, I don't, a lot of people don't realize just how many things we we utilize down here yep. on Earth that were that were developed up there. But I think you're just to the question be more like what's happening right now that would that would have the biggest impact. Um I'd say Musk's uh, Starlink platform, you yep. know, expanding, expanding the internet really to the point that it's, it's going to be accessible anywhere that, that they can put up a, a platform. You know, we've just seen the effects, the more, I mean, look at what we're doing right now, the more we wire the world together, the more we, we are increasing communications and making things flow that much faster, the faster history is moving. So I would say I would say that it might seem mundane, but it's just like that's the next evolution in in uh, information transfer that's going to just continue to increase the progression of, of the species, technology, everything else. And nothing mundane in that, you know. Some of the some of the the greatest technological advancements, if from a sort of cultural perspective. I, you know, in reality, have been some of the simplest, you know, think of, you know, early farming technology, you know, rakes and hoes, um, and then even things like the printing press, we look back at them now as, you know, fairly mundane technological advancements, right. but it's these kind of things that, you know, that the human race can really kind of hang their hats on as, as areas development. So look, really, really great insights there. Really appreciate that. And thanks for sharing. No, so we've, you. we've talked a bit about the past. We've talked a little bit about the future uh, only one place left to go let's have a little look about the future so Katya over to you now yeah great um so obviously I can see from what you've said everything that has brought you to this point now the technology you've used from NASA um but what's next what's next for you and Eden what's the next step um, well, right now we're building our manufacturing facilities so that we can start expanding the orders that we're doing. Uh, one of the most important things is in January, we're launching our crowdfund on Republic. That's going to, that's a huge step forward for us. Um, just expanding the company, getting our message out. We're, we're doing a lot of outreach with STEM programs here in Texas. Uh, my dream really is for our towers, because as Dr. Studey said, we're the prosumer level. Our towers are, are resilient. They offer the greatest profile of what can be grown. So we're building out curriculum with the STEM programs that plugs into the tower so that we can start getting kids at an early age, not just into growing the food, but also the technology and the future applications of the technology and how it relates to space and every, everything else. And that's one of the cool things about Eden is you know we really are this nexus between uh, not just farming, you know, and next generation farming, but uh, getting ourselves plugged into the academic institutions, having Dr. Stude, really positioning ourselves to try to be at the very forefront of how these technologies are, de are developing. So I'm trying to create a pipeline into the schools. And so my dream is, is, you know, every school in first our city, but then the country has, you know, at least in the some program that's built into it so that kids can be learning about this. And then the next step after that, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen, you know, I went to public school, 
the food that the kids eat in the public school is like <laughs> one step away from prison food. Okay. Now, I've never been to prison, but I've seen enough movies to see what prison food looks like. And it looked a lot like my lunch tray when I was 12 years old. All right. So I really, I really want to envision a future where we're getting this high, high nutrient density, organic farm, you know, fresh picked off the vine food into our kids, you know, stomachs, you know, all of the benefits of that. I mean, from a, everything from just nutritional immune system to uh, the edu the educational benefits, which there's a lot of studies that have been done that when kids learn about farming and work with farming, you know, there's all kinds of, of psychological benefits and learning benefits. They, they appreciate their food much more. They appreciate conservation and the environment much more. So, um, you know, that's my, that's my biggest push that I'm really proud of right now that we're just now starting to make inroads into and that I want to aggressively pursue um, because I want that future. And again, it's at the community level as well. You know, one of the things that we've realized in a lot of our research is these farming systems, even though they're incredibly efficient, um, the standalone farmer is much more at a disadvantage than when you start to network farmers together. So when you start to get four or five farmers that are supporting each other, they have their individual farms, but maybe they buy one tractor. So instead of five farmers buying five tractors, you have five farmers buying, sharing one tractor, all right? And then when one has a problem as a community, and this is again, how the Amish do it, they're able to come in and support one another, all right? So it's that kind of networked independence. So everyone's still independent, but they're in a wider network that the network can then help. So targeting, I'm really targeting schools. I'm really targeting community centers, retirement homes, of religious institutions, because that's that level in our society that if I can get these kind of farming systems integrated in at that level, um, the ability for the community to support itself, to, to generate food, and also in times of emergency, let's say community A gets hit with a storm, community A has a problem, community B, C, D, and E now have the resources that they're able to surge their resources directly in. And now instead of waiting weeks or months for FEMA, or our federal agencies to come in and, and save us, the communities are able to mobilize and save themselves that much quicker. So that's kind of my, my, my vision is that I'm, I, you know, I'm trying to create these decentralized networks and I feel like accessing and creating educational opportunities and training opportunities at the community level is gonna be how we're really gonna get this thing going, if that, if that all makes sense. Yeah, fantastic. And I guess uh, by removing food shortages um, and sort of scarcity, it stops the need for that competitive element. It means you can share resources between communities. Yeah, it's fantastic. Great. Um, and then on the other side of things, how do you think use cases evolved here on Earth uh, for space technology in the future? That way around. I mean, it's always completely, I mean, it's, it's warfare and space exploration are the two primary generators of technological advancement in the 21st, I mean, in the 20th century, and are going to continue to be in the 21st century. So, you know, I mean, every aspect of what we what we build in space, we've brought down here to earth and we've utilized it. And it's ends up being much more efficient because there's only so many, you know, applications for space. Um, there's, there's a lot more of us down here on earth to help. <laughs> so, um, so uh, you know, no, I just, that, that, that trend will continue. And that, that's gonna just be a part of our, our experience. Um, but I think that, the ethical uses of those technologies. And I, you know, again, I, I might sound like a broken record, but the most important conversation that we're going to have in all of our lifetimes, of everyone that's watching this right now, is going to be how technology how these high technologies are applied to the human condition. And are they going to be applied in such a sense as to create greater human freedom and independence and expression, or will they be used to uh, bring ever, you know, escalating vertical integration and levels of control over the human condition. And I think that that's a conversation that we have to start having, and it has to be a central meme in the conversation of our time. Because if we don't, if we continue to allow individuals, you know, whether they're good intentioned or not, like, like but single people like Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Elon Musk, and you might like, you might not like any one of those three people. Okay, 
but it's not a healthy situation when we place the entire future of humanity choices along these technological paths in individual hands. This is a debate that has to happen at a fundamental level in society where we're, and, and we cannot just allow events to push us forward either. You know, with the, obviously the one that, that's all in our minds right now is, is this COVID. You know, it's like, how do we allow events? How do we allow individuals to dictate our future? Do we do that in a vacuum? Or do we decide that we're going to have a conversation about it from the standpoint of like, what do we really think needs to happen with these technologies? Fantastic. Yeah. We almost got through an entire podcast without using COVID as a uh, means of conversation, but you know, <laughs> nearly not quite. Almost, it's almost impossible not to. Let's be honest. <laughs> uh, but yeah, really, really interesting to get your insight on all things past, present, and future. It was also great um, to have your opinions on people like Jeff Bezos, especially when you've been uh, at conferences and actually met the guy. <laughs> um, Great. So our next section is something that I think we all agree is to address um, something that we really need to as much and as often as possible. Um, and this is more about industries everywhere, all industries, and it's a bit more general. Um, and that's diversity. It's something that we're really keen to talk about. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah, so ahead. definitely as a as a recruiter, um, you know, in a recruitment agency, obviously so much of what we do is 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 employment and helping our clients and customers, you know, find the best people for 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 their roles and for their business and to help push things on. Um, but obviously working in these kind of high technology industries and you know, even going back to sort of a lot of the STEM courses at university, you know, it's fairly kind of universally sort of known that these high-tech industries aren't necessarily the most diverse or, or inclusive. Um, I mean, from, from your opinion, you know, from your side of things, what do you see as, as I suppose, one of the major root causes of, of the lack of diversity in these high-tech industries? Historical barriers and trends. I think that the way that you overcome those is by integrating these technologies into those communities. You know, um, whether it's through STEM initiatives, if you want to create a more socially just world, if you want to create a more equitable world, it will never be through government interference. It will be through the direct empowerment of those communities, the direct investment in those communities. So I think anytime that you find people that aren't representative of being in a, in a wider culture, you have to create opportunity for them. And you create opportunity for them by investing at the, the, at the educational level and at the youngest level, and you make their communities as resilient as possible. Um, you know, I don't want to wade into the dreaded world of politics in, the, in this, <laughs> but um, I will say in my analysis, you know, the maybe it works in other countries, but the attempt, a lot of the attempts at um, creating social systems in, uh, in cities at the city level have not worked. I mean, you have the same social problems, you have the same ghettos. It doesn't matter how many millions of dollars get pumped into these. It's the, the money, it doesn't, it's not creating opportunity. Who, I don't know where it's going. I don't know what's happening to it, but it's just like, I remember reading reports about Baltimore receiving something like $28 million, you know, three or four years wow. ago, and they, and they couldn't account for any of the money. They, yep. they just, it just vanished. It completely vanished. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of grift going on. And I think that the, you have to bypass the traditional political mechanisms and the traditional political parties. And you have to find ways of directly investing in the children in, in communities that are underrepresented. Um, there were some really, yep. there was a, there was a really awesome program when I was, when I was at the space ad conference, I got to meet uh, a gentleman from the governor's office up there, and they were talking about the Native the Native Americans living um, in Minnesota and how they'd been disenfranchised, and you know, and they went to them whenever this new governor came in, and they said, "What can we give you? What can we do for you to help you? Because you, your tribes, you know, have these all these terrible statistics of education and criminality and drug addiction, 
what can we do to break out of they went to the tribal elders and they had meetings and the guy was like tell me we smoked the peace pipe and we sat in the tent and we asked them you know what can we do and they told them one answer they said we need dignity we need dignity we don't need handouts yeah and the handouts hadn't been working every time they came and gave more money the situation got worse the situation didn't get better and that's the pattern that we see throughout history all right you can't just go dump money on problems. You have to give people purpose. You have to give people dignity, but it has to be through self-determination. So what they started doing is they started opening up. Um, they created this. I don't know. I can't remember this part, how they got to it, but they created a program that an educational program that allowed uh, tribe members to go in and get network security certificates. And all of a sudden, within a couple of years now, all of all, they 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 all had jobs. They were all doing something that they felt had value, and the numbers started dropping. Okay. Yeah. So they weren't forced to do that. They weren't given a handout. They were worked with as a community and said, "What do you need, and how do we find a way to do that?" So you know, for me, it always comes back to empowerment. If yeah. we want to create a more every attempt to create force a more diverse world in every culture and every society has been an absolute catastrophe <laughs> and has ended up oppressing people and destroying community and destroying people's ability to respect one another it, it never works out and i mean and you can take it to extremes and it's been absolutely horrific so yeah. instead of trying to solve the problem at the end of the problem, which is where, you know, it's like government mandates, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. We have to go to the beginning of the problem, which is by empowering the communities and empowering the children that are coming out of these communities so that they can naturally evolve and get into these industries and make the industries more di diverse on their, their own. That, yeah. that, would be, that would be how I would say how, how I would approach the problem. And, and I have to say that, you know, this is a bit of a running theme that, that we hear from a lot of people that um, the, the way to solve diversity in the industry isn't by trying to solve diversity in the industry. It's about going many, many years before that. It's about early introduction within the school systems to, you know, these kind of situations and helping people realize that everyone is a part of what is happening on space purely by existing here on earth and that if we can kind of empower that kind of thinking early enough well, we don't have to have diversity and inclusion quotas you know in our employment statistics well, look, well, look because it's automatically gonna one of the most frightening things i found out here in texas in the last couple of years was based on the testing scores in kindergarten and first grade the state knows how many prisons it's going to have to make 20 years later wow, wow. That's disturbing, really. I was going to say, it's a very scary statistic. Okay, but, but, <laughs> but it goes to the heart of what we're talking about, which is everything's upstream. Yeah. If we, if, if, if we want, you know, to create a more diverse world, we have to be putting more resources and opportunities into the children so that they grow up and they want to come into it on their own. Yeah. That's yeah, how totally we, agree. That's how, we, that's how we solve that problem. Yeah. Well, look, thank you so much. And this is a topic that, I know we could talk about for hours and hours, incredibly complex, but really, really good to get your insights there. No, um, thank you. So look, now we kind of take some time to learn a little bit more about, about you, Bart, you know, the person behind the company. Um, so Katia, over to you. Um, so this is something we like to ask uh, our guests. This is something that goes outside of work, like Andrew said. Uh, please tell us what is your perfect weekend what does that look like spending time with my children watching <laughs> my watching my kids watching my kids be happy um what in particular makes a, them happy what, what do you like to do together um play on the beach you know wow. play on the beach go skiing um you know we're going to go skiing after new year's this year i'm really excited about that there's been times, you know, um, I get to take them to conferences with me. I just came, went to a conference in Miami 
three weeks ago and I got to take them with me and, you know, I got to take them to South beach, which is just gorgeous, you know, yeah. crystal yeah. blue waters and sandy beaches. It was in November, but it's like 80 degrees outside. <laughs> Miami. Um, Don't, you're making us jealous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's about 40 here. <laughs> yeah. So, um, just, just, um, stuff like that like like i've done all the things and i've done all the exciting things and they're great but you know you get older and reading a book on a with a nice breeze and hearing my children laugh like that's that's kind of it <laughs> might not be the most exciting but for me it's the most fulfilling hey look that's perfect answer and as a relatively new father myself um i uh, like, couldn't agree with you more i still like my busy weekends but sometimes it's nice to just sit down and enjoy watching him enjoy the world yeah yeah fantastic and- <laughs> great well look um now we're on to my favorite part of the podcast this is the quick fire round there's no hints, no tips here. Um, try not to think too much about the answers. We okay. just want the first thing that comes to mind. Now, you've got a, a little bit of a mix of questions, some sort of multiple choice, some we're just looking for an answer. But look, let's let's get started as quickly as we can. So do you feel you've triumphed in, during lockdown or did you fail during lockdown? I think I know the answer to this one. <laughs> I triumphed. I triumphed. Excellent. Okay. If you could live anywhere else in the world other than texas where would it be texas (laughs) (laughs) okay look i'll I'll give you one more chance anywhere other than texas where is there anywhere else or south Uh, beach come on (laughs) i guess uh cabo cabo san lucas yeah yeah okay movie or tv series tv series Netflix series. Okay, here. Well, that was the next question. Netflix or <laughs> Disney Plus? Netflix. <laughs> What's your go-to song at karaoke? <laughs> we didn't start the fire. Good choice. Nice. As, lo- nice. any, as long as it's not my way, I'll uh, I'll <laughs> take any answer for that. Uh, <laughs> beach holiday or mountain retreat? Ooh, mountain retreat. Yeah. Apple or Microsoft? <laughs> Microsoft. Because I'm I like Android. Cool. No, good answer. Uh plane travel or train travel? Train, train. All that the surprises way. me. Oh that yeah. Really surprises me. Uh, the the kind of fairly leisurely way of, of, of travel, looking out, watching the world go by. No, look, I'm I'm with you on that one. Um now, given your 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 background in uh, in nightclubs, but also now your sort of newly found family life, it's going to be interesting to to hear your answer to this one: a boozy night out or a family night in? Family night in, ten for ten. <laughs> and then look, the final question for this one, and I have to say, I'm pretty intrigued by your answer for this one: Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk? E- Elon. I thought Elon, it would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Elon's a little bit more interested in human freedom. Um, he's he's and, less of having that full ownership of vertical integration well, and a little and, bit and more mean, about. Like, well, and also, I mean, if you listen to his uh, his talks on the Joe Rogan uh, podcast, I mean, he's he's one of the only ones trying to bring up these fundamental questions of like, how are we going to utilize this technology? If you actually yeah. listen to that, that interview he says in that interview the only reason he's gotten into the human um brain chip interface is because he's trying to create the most positive version of it because what he's heard from the rest of the tech billionaires are not positive and he doesn't <laughs> and he, no, and he says in the interview he says i've tried to warn everyone about this they don't want to listen so i'm getting into it to at least try to steer it yeah i don't think that's a tiger that can be ridden ultimately but um but i appreciate that at least he's willing to say <laughs> at least he's caution. giving it a go <laughs> yeah <laughs> we should have some caution with this <laughs> perfect well look thank you very much for that as i say shame that my favorite part has come to end but it's great to get some more insight on on the man behind the company um so look katia over to you now and this is our final question of the podcast 
So we love asking this to our uh, our guests. I think it's a really nice way to finish the podcast. Um, what one piece of advice would you give to someone entering your industry? Startup or, or a next generation farming technology? Well, sort of the new age space tech that you're bringing down to earth. Anybody with that kind of ambition that you've shown? Be real, be real. You know, it's easy to get caught up on the hyperbole. Um, and I mean, I'm, I've been guilty of that, but if there isn't a real world case scenario that you're gonna figure out how to apply this technology and are people really gonna wanna use it and spend their money on it? Um, you know, I, I've seen this in a lot of different industries, internet, you're, the entertainment, it's always there, but you know, the internet boom, the marijuana boom, the crypto boom, you know, you find a lot of people that are just, they got the stars in their eyes and they're just like, this is the, the way. And it's like, <laughs> okay, but what, how are you doing that? I don't know. You know, it's, it's, it's just, you know, there, there has to be a real world application. There has to be some grounded reality to what you're doing. Um, otherwise, you're just a huckster, a snake oil salesman. So really, your advice would be to stay on Earth, get down to Earth with well, your ideas. Well, you have to pr- I mean, I, I think, I, I mean, we're getting out there now. So that, I mean, there are companies that can purely prove themselves from, you know, I mean, there's, you know, obviously, orbit launch companies, there's supply companies, there's a whole ecosystem of companies that are starting to build out that are real companies that have no application other than in space. But whether you're, whether you're there or here on earth, you have to be anchored to something that is a, a real need, that there's a real market for, even if you're doing what we were doing, which is projecting that the market's gonna exist so many years in the, in the future, you have to be really intelligent how you approach that so you're not wasting your time and other people's time. So I would say just, you know, being as real as possible. Perfect. Well, look, Bart, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you joining us. It's been great to hear your thoughts and your insights and great to learn more about Eden, um, how you've brought the company to where it is and hearing about all the great things to come. So a real pleasure to have you here on the show. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sending you warm blessings from Texas right now. (laughs) We certainly need over here at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) So So perfect. You guys have a great day. And again, thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Thanks, Bart. And you too. Take care now. Thanks. Bye, guys. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps these stories to be found and enjoyed by more people. For more information about NUCO, we can be found at www.neuco-group.com. You've been listening to The Tech That Connects Us.